I have to figure out if I'm an optimist or a pessimist. And I don't know anymore. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour of a Friday. And of course, that means we get to work once again with bad boy Benny Mathers at the board, our producer. How are you today, sir? Doing awesome as usual. Good day and um, happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. You're, you. You seem to be bundled up today. Sometimes I'm we see you with a light t-shirt and today <laughs> you've got on like three, four layers. What, what's going on with the weather in uh, the great Northwest? It's a little nippy, but I just usually dress like this comfortably in the studio uh, just because we have to keep the temperatures down in here because of all the equipment. Um, yes. And it's okay. just, yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm digging it. It's still, the, it's right. still January. Well, that's cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we See, got exactly. winter going yeah, that's on cool, here, man. too, that's today. Cool. We got Gary. winter in Florida. It's going to be 71. Oh, yeah. Cool. Balmy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really crushing it there, yeah. <laughs> oh, I tell you, we have to brag about our winter weather because the summers are enough to melt you mm-hmm. into a, a pool. I mean, just flat out miserable. Yeah. But winter yeah. is nice, and we get to look at the snow on TV. And that's why our highways are crowded <laughs> one third of the year. Yep. I also just to take care of a little bit of hockey business here before we bring on. Speaking of positivity, there are positive notes if you're a Kraken fan. And then we're going to get into the theme of positivity <laughs> for the rest of the hour with Richard Spitzer, our honored guest of the hour. But I did want to point out a couple of things. Benny, I'm delighted that the Kraken are doing so well. And last night, they won in overtime against another surprisingly good team, the New Jersey Devils. And it looks to me like the Kraken are going to be able to make a statement in the playoffs. I, If I were other teams around the league, I would not take them lightly. Yeah, they had a pretty nice little win streak going there. I believe seven or eight games, and then they uh, bounced a couple down. But, you know, they're feeling pretty strong. You know, the first year when you come out, you're you know trying to figure out your team and so forth like that. Yep. What yep. was it, the Vegas Knights? They're the only ones that got, like, freakishly good in their right. debut season. In, in but the first year. Yeah, yeah, you know, iron out those wrinkles in our second year into it. Seems to be doing pretty good. So, uh, yeah, go Kraken. So yeah. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. I think so too. Go Kraken. Gary and I talked about a hockey team in Seattle for years, and we finally made it happen. Yes, and, and a couple of other quick notes, and I'm sure our guests will be delighted to hear this. The Chicago Blackhawks won a game in Philadelphia, beating the Flyers. I think it was 4-1 to one last night. The first time the Blackhawks have won a game in Philadelphia since 1996. That's before they won three additional Stanley Cup championships. I mean, that's back in antiquity as hockey is measured, and yet they were able to win last night. It's been a woeful season for the Blackhawks, but Chicago fans have something to cheer about today. And one more thing. The Tampa Bay Lightning, you know they're playoff bound. Those guys are tough. You want to talk tough? They played Edmonton and lost last night. But I am telling you, Benny, if you didn't catch any part of that game, you couldn't go a few minutes in that game without a fight breaking out. Those are the it best. Got, so those, <laughs> it got, And I think it was at the start of the third period before the puck dropped it, to start the third period. I'm pretty sure it was. <laughs> 
you had this uh, a player whose last name is Maroon, which is kind of comical in its own way, who's like the designated fighter on the Tampa Bay Lightning. And this guy from Edmonton, and they're looking at each other and blah, blah, blah. And what do you think? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. As soon as the puck dropped, they started fighting. They're throwing each other on the ice, going crazy. They're just at the start of the period. I'll tell you, I was getting really worried with all the fighting. I thought maybe a <laughs> hockey game would break out. So he's it was uh, unbelievable. The the lead fighter, I what are they called? Like a goon, I believe. Um there's or an a, enforcer. Yeah, an enforcer. I think that that's another one. Yeah, they're kind of out there just to do a few plays and just to, you know, bring Cause the muscle trouble. and the beef. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The talk. Yeah. They're always chatting around on the ice that you can't hear way up in the stands, and they're always getting after each other, and it's part of but the we, game. It's we could the game. see them mumbling to each uh-huh. other, like, rah, 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 rah. <laughs> and you could see them talking to each other. They were getting ready. They were like, you want to go? Yeah, sure. Let's go. And and, it's so, and it seems like it's so easy. With, <laughs> the, the referees were in danger of losing control of that game, and one of them got in the middle of this fight, got knocked down, and a skate came across, and he wound up needing three stitches on his hand. He's out there bleeding. Yeah, I saw a clip of that. Um, those are the scarier and dangerous part, dangerous sure. parts of the game. Um, sure. And you wish yeah. it didn't happen, but it does come yep. with the territory. But um, yeah, it's it's wild. It's almost like if you go to games and there's no fights, you're like, I I, I want my money back. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, not me. What's well, going on here? Case, you go for minor league hockey because you'd want your money back because you, you can't go. see any hockey. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, Fight, fight, fight. It's itchy and scratchy. Fight, fight, fight. Fight, fight, fight. What they need is some modern positivity, a change of outlook, and that's what we're going to address today. Richard Spitzer has over 50 years of experience in communications and behavioral research and was executive vice president of one of the world's largest marketing research firms. After retirement, Rich developed new methods for macro trend analytics, but faced challenges in achieving some new goals. He became interested in in applying the new fields of positive psychology and patterns of success in the information-intense world. Rich applied his research expertise to find practical, modern methods for successfully using positivity to achieve personal and business goals. One goal was to write about trends and personal change issues, and he has now published three previous books to the one we're holding in our hands, which is Modern Positivity. The positivity formula can increase your probability of being among successful people. Welcome to Manson Mitchell once again, Richard Spitzer. Good to have you with us today, sir. Thank you, Suzanne and Gary. I'm glad to be back with you again at the beginning of the year. (laughs) You are one of those people that we haven't met in person, and we came awfully darn close when we went to Chicago because you were just in the next suburb north. You were on our list. We said, we got to meet Rich. We even made a date to get together. It was a Monday. We said, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to have, we're going to meet this man in person. And then one of us got the sniffles. Sniffles and then some. And I thought, well, I can't go into some cafe being contagious. Yeah. I have to do the socially responsible thing. Right. There. Right. So uh, we just decided. We'll, we'll postpone that. That's yep. right. We will. We look forward to meeting you uh, the next time we're up north or you're down south. One of the Absolutely. Two. Yep. You know, what fascinates me about you, Richard, is that you take the concept of positivity and you have a phrase that you use uniquely in my experience, positivity IQ, this idea of positivity intelligence. 
And you seem to have made it rather a life study at the granular level. I find that very impressive. Well, you know, this has been a, a journey, a discovery. You know, there's all kinds of tangents out here. I can tell you one of the seeds of this that uh, has stayed with me, you know, for 50 years, one of my early jobs. I was working at Quaker Oats. I was assistant brand manager on Captain Crunch cereals. Ah. And I was criticizing or critiquing some of our commercials for kids. And my boss said to me, Rich, don't be so negative. You got to be more positive. Well, I thought I was being helpful, but his perception was I was making negative statements. Well, that was then it turned out I was more right than they were. And they changed the commercials. But that idea always stayed with me. Was I making something that would be perceived as negative or positive? So fast forward, you know, I lived with that over the years, did my work, I succeeded. Yes, and after I retired, I started some new businesses, some challenges, and, um, you know, I was having some problems, and a psychologist recommended a Wayne Dyer book, Manifest Your Destiny, mm. and it had a lot of, uh, you know, you read Wayne Dyer, you know, optimism, belief, uh, you attract what you think about, and I got into that, and it all made sense, but it didn't really tell me how to do it. And as a researcher, I have a lot of trouble taking things on faith. I want to understand it, to believe it, to maybe I can improve it. Uh, so after reading hundreds of books, thousands of blogs and essays, I decided to do what I've done for lots of other clients. I will become my own research project. You know, how do I succeed? How do I overcome my challenges? And to get right to the heart of it, I decided I agree you know, you have to have a positive belief, faith, confidence in what you want to do. Okay, positive thinking. It's been out there for literally centuries, you know, the power of positive thinking. Uh, I got into the law of attraction and manifestation. And I said, this is good. I can make it better for me. I wrote my first book, The Manifestation Formula. In that process, I found out it was still a little too abstract, a little more research, a lot more talking. And then I wrote uh, the more of the research and discipline book, the one you just mentioned, uh, Modern Positivity, that tells you how to do it, tells you the structure. And I've had a lot of conversations with people about it and not as many buyers as I'd like. But what came out of that was another discovery is uh, people really want to know, as I said, in one words of one person a couple weeks ago, where do I start? How do I do it? So I'm working on the next book, which gets back to this positive IQ. Um, which is still the same focus. When someone tells you to be more positive, I accepted that. And then I discovered something that I was shocked at. No one ever told you what it means to be more positive. Uh, you know, Suzanne, if I say drink more water, you could say, okay, I'll go from one to three glasses a day. Or Gary, see your relatives more often. Uh, That's the worst once... advice I ever heard in my life. Okay. <laughs> I picked the wrong one. Okay. <laughs> Okay. See more hockey games. Yay, there you go. Winner. <laughs> you know what that means. But when I got into it, it's like no one has ever defined what it means to be more positive. We can associate numbers with every other context. So when you know, a therapist said or uh, some friend said, Rich, be more positive. Well, what do you mean? Should I be 10% more positive or 20% more positive? Well, I don't know. Just be more positive. Yeah, don't be so negative. Well, so you see the theme there. I said, I'm already focused on positive thinking. Um, you know, why do some people seem to have such great 
positive outlooks in life? Is it were they born their way? Were they nurtured? Well, you know, it's it's both. Uh, but I said I would. I don't know if I'm more positive. Uh, signed up for some courses, fitness courses. You know, you can do this. Just remain confident and have optimism that you're going to complete this fitness course. So you know, keep a positive outlook. So I never knew if I was positive enough. The only evidence is, was I succeeding? So the bottom line is, I said, why are some people smarter about positive? Uh, and the idea of smarts. So I connected, you know, again, a little more research. Some people are smart, the IQ. Uh, we all know what that sort of means. It goes back, you know, to the late 1800s. You know, we associate that with certain skills. I said, well, maybe there's other kinds of smarts out there. People are positive smart. And lo and behold, of course, somebody thought of a lot of this before in the 1980s, a Harvard psychologist by the name of Howard Gardner said, you know, it's not just Einstein smart, it's there's multiple intelligences. You can be people smart, you can be musical smart, you can be logical smart, and there's evidence everywhere of success. And there's like interpersonal smart. I know people, I can be a good manager or a politician, but still within all of that, there was no how well do I manage my thinking smart? It's like, I'll know it when I see it. So I said, I'm going to put all these pieces together. There's smarts, there's intelligence, there's a common advice. It's probably the most widely advised but never defined uh, proposition I've said. Be more positive, but I can't tell you what it is, how you'll know when you've arrived, how you can measure it, how you can monitor your progress. Uh, lots of advice to how to have positive thinking, but now how, how to know if you're smart enough. So the net net was, uh, came up with the idea of the, there's a positivity IQ, but the next step was to assign a number to it, which you know, I'm sure we'll get into. Excellent. You know, like, like you, I also had a teacher, and it happened to be somebody at work, who similarly was telling me about a project that he wanted done. It was the president of the company. And he said, I want to do this, and I want to do this, and I want to do this, and I want to do this. And I started telling him all the reasons why we could not do what it was that he wanted to do. Well, we can't do that because, one, number two, number three, number four. And he said, stop, stop. I didn't ask you how it doesn't work. What I want you to figure out is how it will work. And I just, I slapped my hand to my forehead. Uh It's like, well, that's a different way of looking at things. And then the very first assignment was to write a rejection letter for donations because we were always being solicited for financial contributions. And he said, I want you to do it without using the word no or the word not. Mm -hmm. He said, I want it to be a very positive letter so that when we send it out, people don't feel bad that they are not getting money from us. And uh, and so that was my my first assignment there. Interesting that you are, are uh, talking about identifying the positivity IQ. When we have an intelligence quotient, that IQ, we generally don't know about ourselves. We have to take a test. And so when we take an IQ test, somebody says, oh, your IQ is 100 or 110 or 140. And, and so we suddenly get a number that is related to our intelligence. And similarly, I think people generally don't know 
if they're positive or negative because they haven't taken that test to determine where they are on the scale. And and I've got a, a couple people in mind. Uh, I got a negative neighbor. I mean, no matter what you say, it's negative, 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 negative. But if I were to tell her she was negative, she would probably say, oh, no, I'm not. Because I think she has a different perception about herself. So when you're looking at this idea of positivity and negativity, the first thing that occurs to me is people actually don't know where they land on that scale. What have you found about that in your meetup groups and talking with people? Well, you've touched on two of the the fundamentals of what I've tried to do. One is the traditional IQ score is not a measure of your intelligence. It's your score compared to everybody else's score. Ah. The The IQ test is based on verbal ability, reasoning, logic, and other other components of IQ that were observed to be correlated with success. So you take a test, you get a score of 100. That only says, compared to all the other people who have taken the test, here's where your score is. So if I score uh, 110, Einstein's 160, then it's believed I have less of certain abilities compared to an Einstein. But it knows, it knows nothing about my actual intelligence. It's a comparative score. So that's the first thing I wanted to remedy because I don't want to know how positive I am relative to you. I only want to know how positive I am to myself. So the scoring system I came up with is measuring my positivity, not a comparison. doesn't matter what you are. I only, so that's why I said you touched on one of the profound things is, am I positive? The second thing I became disenchanted with, and I was talking to a mental health clinic in Chicago here earlier in the year about using my program. And, you know, it's during COVID. They don't have resources. They can't do the testing. But, you know, be that as it may. But they said, well, we have lots of assessments for, you know, for happiness and positive thinking and so on. And but the problem is, again, as you touched on, they may give you a a test of 40 statements. How well does a smiley face you know, represent your thoughts. I'm happy, I'm positive, I'm optimistic. So you may take a self-assessment score, you know, once a year, once in your lifetime. And they say, again, compared to other people, you're more or less happy. So I had two flaws with that. One is it's still comparisons to other. And second, looking at smiley faces didn't really help me change whether I was positive or not. I said, well, today I'm not very happy. So how am I going to change it? so I needed something that I can manage by myself about myself and gave me a target. And I've taken, you know, the, the, the traditional IQ, you know, bell-shaped curve distribution. I've taken Gardner's idea of possible you know, prob- uh, different personalities and said, you know, we have a range of positive and negative thoughts. As a starting point, when someone says be more positive, what does that mean? Well, uh, there's two aspects. One is if, of my thoughts are positive and 90% are negative. I could be more positive by being 20% positive, still not very effective. I'm still a pretty negative person. So the next step was uh, taking the law of attraction, the manifestation. They say you you attract what you think about, uh, whether it's Norman Vincent Peale and power of positive thinking or Tony Robbins or Joe Dispenza or Wayne Dyer. It's all about belief, confidence, and optimism. But it still is in the realm of you have to do this most of the time. It can't be more is not enough. 
uh, it's got to be most. Well, that opened up a whole new realm of, you know, let's say quantitative analysis. What is most of the time? Well, it's at least 51% and it's less than 100% because that would be all. So I said, as a starting point, what do we know from statistical probability and even the IQ chart? Most is in the middle. Most things occur in the middle, 68%, you know, represents one standard deviation. So basically to jump ahead is I said, the, if the traditional IQ score is 100, the normal positivity IQ should be when most of your thoughts about your subject, your topic, when 68% of your thoughts about your goal or what you want to achieve are you know, sustainably positive. And I figured, well, that makes sense. And I did my scorecards. I did it myself over and over until I made some sense out of it. And it shocked me. I had absolute, definite, well-intentioned goals to write a book or start a business. But when I honestly assessed myself, I had strong positives. But most of the time, I was predominantly negative. The days when I say, oh, I can't keep doing this or aren't they ever going to make progress? So even though I had moments of strong, positive thinking, I had even more moments of down feelings and doubts. And no wonder I'm not making progress. You know, it's uh, one thing to clear up on this. Again, back to what you touched on. It's not about positive thinking. It's not a positive thought. You know, positive thought comes and goes in an instant. It's the stream of positive thoughts that become our self-talk. And that self-talk becomes the, you know, the real culprit here. So, and I've defined it, you know, you know, I've done some meetups and the website's being updated, but, you know, positivity is your, not just your thoughts, it's your self-talk. It's your recognition of opportunities, risks. It's how resilient you are, uh, your adaptability, you know, recognize opportunities, uh, recognize risks. It's all the things that you need to do to keep going. It's not just a positive thought. Because that misled me in the middle, in, in the beginning. You know, you think you track what you think about. And, okay, I'm thinking good things, but I was also thinking bad things. And I wasn't doing it frequently enough. Um, and those other systems all seem to be, it's all or nothing. Any negative thought you could attract. Well, you know, as you well know, we have a survival mechanism. It's in our DNA. You know, that's what keeps us alive over the eons that... Uh, yeah, we have a human negativity bias. So I came up with a simple, same distribution. Be positive most of the time. Here's a way to measure it, track it, and manage it. Human negativity bias. Wow, what a phrase. There is a spiritual philosopher whom I admire greatly named Ernest Holmes. He wrote a very, very uh, well-researched book called Science of Mind became the basis of a denomination, religious science, and more commonly now known as Centers for Spiritual Living, teaching the science of mind philosophy. And one of the keys to understanding the science of mind, Richard, and I, I'm saying this for the benefit of listenership, you may know all about this already, but Ernest Holmes proclaimed that in human history, there has been a consciousness of positivity and negativity, which he claimed tended over time to bend toward the negative. Now, we can look at that in evolutionary terms. If you've got a saber-toothed tiger outside your cave, you might think twice about going out or at least get yourself a good screen door, something, 
And so there's that fear element. What will protect me? What, you know, self-preservation being the first law of nature. It, with that being the case, it creates a tendency, even in situations I learned, where there is no saber-toothed tiger except in my mind. There is no mortal enemy that I haven't imagined into existence. And so if I am leaning into negativity to any degree, it's like I'm working against myself. Absolutely. You know, I use the saber saber too in the same you know, analogy, except don't going into the cave. Don't go into the cave looking for food or you become the food. Uh, yeah, the evolutionary scientists have basically said is this was our basic survival mechanism. You and I and everybody alive today are the descendants of the absolute people who perfected the right balance of positive and negative risk taking. We wouldn't be here today if our ancestors were foolishly positive and went into the cave and didn't come out. So, but today, a lot of what we face with positive and negative is, is, is manufactured. We have recreated all kinds of positive and negative scenarios, but it, it, it still goes back, you know, and you and I have talked before. I mean, uh, I was looking at this morning, like uh, there's real, and it was in Marcos Aurelius. He said, uh, our life is what our thoughts make it. Uh, but today we are overloaded with making most of our thoughts negative because there's all these external uh, catalysts for fear, e economics, politics, culture, everything. Uh, and we're not taught to manage it. So the Stoics and the other philosophers say, you have to decide for yourself how you're going to manage it. You know, one of the other, you know, people who comes up all the time is, you know, Viktor Frankl, uh, you know, book the, you know, search for meaning that, spent four years in a concentration camp, got out, went back to his psychotherapy. He said it was all about maintaining a sufficiently positive but not uh, uh, unreasonable attitude about surviving. And, you know, if you can use a positive, a realistic positive attitude to get through four years in a concentration camp, we should be able to do it on far more modest uh, endeavors. I believe that to be true. And one of the things that Holocaust survivors and researchers of the Holocaust had discovered is that one of the things that helped keep people alive in the camps was what was termed a gift relation. If you had a spare crumb or two of bread and you gave it to someone because you could get by without it and they're barely hanging on, and you gave that to them, they might find something feel like from a trash can where great literature of the world was regarded by the Nazis as rubbish and just tossed there. They might provide you with the sonnets of Shakespeare, for example. You give to them, they give to you, and you have created a human bond that adds worth and meaning to life itself. People find a way because life finds a way for us to go on and to adapt. Absolutely. You know, there's a, a tangent to that about the nature of this interaction, the emotional connection. And one of the things that surprised me in my research, which I originally dismissed, was the importance of gratitude, both with other people and the things you encounter in life. Uh, there's a great book. I think her, the writer's name is Janice Kaplan. About, I think it's called the Gratitude Diaries, and she interviewed a lot of people. And it comes up over and over on the list of what are the most, what are the most important things in having a, a positive, optimistic outlook on life. It's showing gratitude for people, relationships, things you experience, things that you have. So, okay, I read that. And another little experiment. 
I took, I don't know, about 20 articles about positive thinking and success and happiness. I took all the articles and made it into one long text. And I popped it into one of these word cloud generators. And you know, you've seen that, you know, the most common words are the biggest word. And gratitude came up as the most frequently men you know, mentioned or cited uh, word in discussions about what it means to be positive and happy. So, and what you were just describing about these connections isn't a very important part of that. You know, uh, you have to connect with something, both with other people. And as you said earlier, you have to know something about yourself. And one way to do it is get into expressing gratitude because that brings in so many other elements. We are talking with Richard Spitzer. It is our delight to have him back. He is an exponent, I think it's fair to say, of modern positivity, a positive attitude backed by, undergirded by solid scientific research. And we will continue with the practical applications of that, hopefully for the benefit of everybody listening when we come back. We are Manson Mitchell. Give us a couple of minutes and we will be right back. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Rich Spitzer to talk about our positivity IQ. Where is your tipping point from being a negative Nelly to being a positive Polly? On Saturday, Mary Beckman returns with additional insights into universal healing codes that offer a unique transformational nature that changes people's lives, maybe yours. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Bored with the other stations? Hammering away on the same old talking points? Try Alternative Talk 1150 and get some variety. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Richard Spitzer. He's written several books on manifesting and positivity. 
Uh, Richard, if people would like to find out more about what it is that you do and get some additional information, where is the best place to direct them? Well, you can go to the website, modernpositivity.com, spelled just the way it sounds. Currently, it's set up based on the the book that's out there now. Uh, As of next week, it's going to be updated to reflect more of uh, my evolution to positivity IQ, positivity intelligence, because I'm trying to make it useful for myself and for everybody else to make it more practical, specific lessons. And the next book will be out sometime in the early part of next year. Not totally different, but keep refining the applications for practical use. So modernpositivity.com. Excellent place for people to start. And a farewell to David Crosby. God bless him. Before he was with Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, he was one of the birds. And so we played Mr. Tambourine Man, original to Bob Dylan, but it became a big hit with the birds. And, you know, there's there's a lesson there. I believe it was David Crosby who said in an interview that he attended, as a kid, a hard day's night. And when he came out of the theater, he knew that that's what he wanted to do. (laughs) (laughs) And he stayed true to himself, true to his vision, worked on his craft there. And despite the internal dissension that happens quite often with bands, he made a life for himself in the world of music of popular entertainment because it was and it must have felt to him it was his to do and in his unique way and look at all the success he had so positivity is your greatest ally it's a way to be your own best friend it seems to me absolutely like i said earlier it's i evolved from having positive thoughts to recognizing positivity is far more all-encompassing it's positive thoughts, it's gratitude, it's uh, recognizing issues, adaptability, resilience. It's all the things that keep you moving forward. And there's so many terms over the ages. uh, And that's what I'm trying to do in the next book, boil it down to actual words and terms that, you know, connected to me. But I also try to build a little dictionary that if I say persistence and you say perseverance, you know, there are linguistic, you know, nitpickers. So I'm saying is it means you keep going despite the obstacles. That's positivity. Uh, you know, the old Nike uh, saying, just do it. That's positivity. And let me just read something because um, when it comes to the science of it, and again, talking to a lot of clinicians, they say, oh, we have to do some more testing of this positive thinking work. Well, a study came out earlier in the year from Harvard. It was the longest running study, I think, of like 200,000 plus women over 40 years. And the conclusion was women who are optimistic, positive outlook on life, had longer, healthier lives. So it's a big, you know, success story. But what it was, they observed what people did. And they said they made the connection. People who were on these assessments did did live a better life if they were consistently positive. At the same time, when I've encountered, you know, uh, other people in the field, I understand we need to be sure of what we're doing. But when they say, let's do a test. Well, here's the test that I did. And we work backwards. I just happened to find the, this quote. It's not uh, the best one, but it's representative. This is from Gail Devers, an Olympic athlete. Keep your dreams alive. 
understand that to achieve anything requires faith and belief in yourself, vision, hard work, determination, and dedication. Remember, all things are possible for those who believe. So here's my research in one sense, observational research, uh, is people have been saying that same statement in one form or another for almost 3,000 years. Every time I watch uh, the Oscars, who wins the Super Bowl, uh, who gets an award? My mother, my father, my grandmother, my aunt, my coach, my mentor said, if I believed and I worked and I had confidence, I could achieve anything I want. 3,000 years of millions and billions of people saying exactly the same thing. Now, balance that against need to do a small clinical study to prove that people who believe and have confidence have a greater chance of success. I understand the science. I spent 50 years of telling my clients the same thing. We have to prove that this number is valid, but I think we can merge both concepts. You know, 3,000 years of people saying the same thing, and these are the people who succeeded. These aren't the people who failed. You know, in all my research, I never once came across a statement that said, the secret of success is to be more negative. No one has ever said it's the opposite. They've only said it's positive. So my only goal was, if you can quantify some level of, am I positive enough to succeed, you can better manage your thinking. Because on Sundays I say, I'm going to do this. On Sundays I say, this isn't going to work. Accept both. But once you get your posit ongoing positive thinking up to a level, which is, I talk about, you know, 68%, you've entered this, this portal that I believe increases your probability of success. It's working for me because I'm sitting here talking to you today. Rich, we 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 talked a little bit earlier, um, or at least I did, about like how do people know where they are, and you talk about managing your thinking, and I might think that I'm managing my thinking really well, and and I'm not, and this this idea like came to me, fake it till you make it. I mean, we've heard that a lot when when you are trying to manifest or achieve something you have to embody the feeling that it is that you have that item and and be positive about uh, achieving the goal or or getting the thing or the relationship or the job or the good health or whatever it is that you want by somehow pretending that you already have it and then living through that feeling of I've already achieved this and and so I, I'm wondering, how do you manage your thinking? Because you do need to recognize it. I have a, a longtime friend that I talk to very regularly. And for the most part, she and I are both positive together. When we get negative together, we catch it. And one of us will say, well, I guess I had nothing but bad news today, but I don't want to leave it like that. So let me tell you something good that happened. So we we know in our conversation that for the most part, we're encouraging and we're positive and we're talking about good things that have happened and good things that we're anticipating and and what's going well. But then every once in a while, you know, we'll we'll go into the negative. I got yelled at. I got cut off by somebody on the road you know, something will will trigger that negativity. 
and and there is that human negativity bias. So if you're not watching your thoughts, you're going to go negative. Here's only one case where I recognize I'm going negative and I don't want to. So I'll go positive. I was impatient the other day driving. And then I went, wait, 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 wait. I'm not in a car accident. There's just a lot of cars out of here. So take a deep breath. And why don't you be the most patient person on the road? I I, I had to consciously say to myself, don't be impatient, be patient. You, you're not going to get to where you want to go as fast as you'd like to get there because there are a lot of cars on the road, a lot of visitors from up north. And so I had to I had to consciously say, I am patient. I am patient. And and you know, not get into an accident, slow down my thinking, slow down my driving, and just go with you know the flow that was out there. This idea of managing your thinking, you still have to recognize that you're having a thought you don't want to have that doesn't serve you. Right. What do you do with that? Well, two two things you raise. One is, let me get back to the, the positivity target, and then I'll get in specifically to your, okay. your, road, your road rage. Oh, so, right. <laughs> so, you know, yes, how do I know if I'm being positive enough? So I, I developed my own rating scale, seven points. And I say once a week, look back at what you were thinking, your, all your range of thoughts. And once a week, score yourself honestly on uh, how you felt about whatever the topic is. It could be an individual thing like patience. It could be, am I making progress on uh, my fitness program or am I making progress on you know, writing my book? You know, so you have to know this week was I predominantly positive, negative, or uncertain. So it comes up with the score. You know, you, there's seven statements. Rate yourself how often you were. Th- each of these statements describes you. You know, when you see it, it's like I was totally positive, somewhat positive, not too positive, and so on. There's actual words instead of just numbers. I try to create phrases that represent the way we talk to ourselves. So you fill in once a week what the, your numbers are for each statement, and it calculates the score for you, and it puts it on a chart. You know, and I'll, I'll send you a copy to play with. Um, so it says, well, this week I was 72% positive, even though I had a lot of ups and downs overall, I think I did pretty well, or I was 52% positive. I have to work on something. So I have a scorecard so you can do it once a week, but you know, you can, it's in Excel or Google sheets. Uh, you can do it every day. If you want, you could take that instead of a pill, like how am I feeling now? So there's extra worksheets in there. So if you want to assess how am I thinking, there's a simple scorecard that gives you a number that I think is representative because I did it based on myself. Because I thought I was super positive and it turned out I was consistently negative, even about what I most wanted to achieve. The second part of the answer is what you started with is that, okay, how do I learn to manage that level of positivity? What lessons do I have to learn? So I came up with basically six broad categories, but 36 lessons that are culled from all the hundreds of words out there. You mentioned patience. I have to work on patience every day. Uh, On resilience, I turned out I'm pretty good. I don't have to work on that as much, but on patience. So these are all lessons that I personally had to learn at some point in my process. Some were simple, uh, some were challenging, and some are ongoing. So I'm trying to address your question in the next book with how do I deal with this, but also 
just as important as how do I know if it's working? And, you know, they say, you can't tell the players without a scorecard. You cannot think about what you're thinking and decide how well you're thinking. It just doesn't work. We cheat. We don't remember. So I needed for myself this scorecard to say, you know, maybe I want to assess myself on patience, you know, once a week or once a day. Uh, if I'm honest, it'll say, you know, I did a pretty poor job this week on patience. So the scorecard is versatile. You can use it for any topic you want. It's just a scientifically based seven statement thing. It has other features in there, but says, I did pretty poor impatience this week. I have to work on it. But if you don't know what your score is, you don't know how well you did. Well, and what, what I'm hearing you say is if I'm in a grocery store line and I find myself impatient that it's taking so long to get out of the grocery store, I can go home and I can say, um, I didn't do so well on patience today. Not very good. But just recognizing that, that I didn't do well in the grocery store might trigger me to be thinking about the next time I'm in the grocery store or the next time I'm out in a lot of traffic where I'll say, oh, you know, I didn't do so so well at the grocery store. There's that recognition I'm looking for. If I can catch myself doing something that doesn't make me happy and say, I'm going to do that a little differently now. I I am going to be patient here on this ride. It, It might take me twice as long as usual, but I'm just going to take a deep breath and, and, you know, however long it takes is how long it takes. Then I I think that helps to affect the change you want to make simply by recognizing what it was and what you would like it to be. Does that make sense to you, Rich? Absolutely. You know, we, 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 we need to recognize what our issues are. What I found discouraging when I culled this list and looked at what I had to do I had so many things to work on. I had to be persistent. I had to be motivated. I had to be creative. I had to be patient. You know, different things at different times. But all of these, I decided, contributed to this, uh, how do I become a consistently, you know, uh, positive person? How do I increase my positivity intelligence? And what you just described is, what do you know about yourself? But that was my, you know, my, my problem. I could think about what I was experiencing, but I decided, you know, am I patient enough? Am I positive enough? So me, I just like to measure things. I have lots of tape measures. I have lots of scorecards. And I decided, and that's where I started in the beginning. No one in 3,000 years has said, here's how you measure positivity. I've come across a couple of academics who've said they've measured this. There's a one, one professor, I think, at Boston College who said, if you have a negative thought, you need five positive thoughts to counteract it. Okay. Now, what if I have six negative thoughts in 15 minutes? Now I need 30 positive thoughts. I can't (laughs) just sit there and say, okay, now uh, while I'm eating at Panera, I'm going to have 30 positive. It's not practical. You can't do it in real time necessarily. And, you know, how do you keep track of, you know, you've seen the research where they say we have 40, 50, 60,000 thoughts a day. And that most are the same as yesterday and yes. 60, 70, 80% are negative. Mm-hmm. Yes. So if you're having 30,000 negative thoughts a day, now you need 150,000 positive thoughts to counteract it. It's not realistic. It may be you know, statistically interesting. So I want to say, what can I do for myself when I want to on Monday or Saturday or in the morning or in the evening or 
instead of you know uh, taking uh, a shortcut, you still have to do the work. I had to measure it. Now, to your other point is, I say, fine, you have all these issues. Now there's traditional rituals. You can journal, you can express gratitude, you can visualize, you can you can yes. meditate, you can mindful. Yeah. There are tools. Yeah. How are, are those tools working for you? And yeah. I decided I need to use the tools in order yeah. to determine if my positive activities were working for me. Yeah. I I I go to bed at night with gratitudes because it helps me go to sleep. If if I'm mm-hmm. thinking between five and ten gratitudes of what happened during the day today. I'm reviewing my day for the good stuff. <laughs> so I'll say, well, I'm really grateful. I had a really nice um, dinner tonight. You know, I'm really grateful. I had a great phone call with a friend of mine. And and so as I, as you know, I give thanks for, you know, whatever it was that was going on, but to, to stop and review the day and, and pick out, pick out the things that were good for me. You know that I think that puts me in the right frame of mind for yeah. for falling asleep. So I'm I'm all about the gratitudes. I know there's there's more that we can all do with that. But even just review, uh, you know, a two minute review at night is is I think for me going in the right direction. This is yeah. great. And who is it? Who is it that you imitate by so doing? The man that Richard Spitzer quoted a while ago, Marcus Aurelius. He lived the examined life, and he recommended to his audience that you do this. You wake up in the morning with certain intentions, as positive as can be, or certainly accepting of reality, and you don't go to bed without reviewing your day to see what you've learned. He stayed on purpose. Yeah, I want to add one more important tangent that I discovered. You may certainly be aware of this, too. The reason you express gratitude, it helps among the other things, it changes your brain chemistry. You know, positive feelings, positive thoughts, positive visualizations change your, I don't remember all the dopamines, the serotonins. I mean, you know, there's an interesting book, uh, like The Science of Positivity. I think the author's name is Loretta Graziona, Graziano Bruning. And I've, you know, talked with her, and she's a scientist and says, but all these things that we do, the real goal is to go back to our primal self it changes your brain chemistry neuroplasticity people are aware of now how do you rewire your brain and your thinking you know all these acts we're talking about are not just substitution you have to change something biologically physiologically so when you associate a you know gratitude with b you know an outcome it your your body now your brain chemistry you know releases the things that make you feel better so it's not just you know it's not just Wordle or some word substitution program. <laughs> you know, you have to change your brain chemistry. And that, you know, you know, Marcus didn't know about brain chemistry. Uh, Norman Vincent Peale, you know, reading some of his books, he recognized, he partnered with a psychiatrist even back in the 40s about recognizing you have to change. The way you change your thinking, it changes the way your brain operates. So there is a brain chemistry component, and the neuroplasticity is based on, you know, we talk about muscle memory. We all know if you practice something, you build your muscle memory. You got to do the same thing with positivity memory. You have to practice the methods and the techniques of being positive in order to build your muscle memory, your positivity memory. And we know that is becomes a physiological and a biological uh, achievement. 
I'm really glad you brought that up because that was one of my notes for today was muscle memory and positivity is a muscle to be developed. And Absolutely. with the idea of human negativity bias, that we are actually programmed for survival, the bias toward the negative, is that a saber-toothed tiger out there behind my house? Um, this idea of survival and am I going to be okay? Um, I, I think we really do need to consciously, consciously develop the positivity muscle, not assume everybody you meet is going to be a threat. Assume maybe that people that you're going to meet are as nice as you are, you know, and that, and that people are not threatening and situations are not threatening. We know there's a lot of bad stuff that happens, but for our own health and well-being, it's, it's really good to have a little bit more of a positive approach in life. And if you're not looking at 180 degrees, total negative Nelly to total positive Polly, you can at least take one step in that direction. Right. right. You know, I'm not a, a particularly religious person, but I occasionally come across Joel Osteen on the radio. And I heard one the other day and he says, you know, the world's a messy place, the economy, the politics, there are a lot of negative things, but you don't have to have a negative life. You can have a more positive life. It gets back to what Marcus said. You know, your thoughts are what make your life. Shakespeare said it. Everybody's been observing this since the beginning of recorded history. You, you know, your thoughts make your life very difficult today when there's so much competition and it's hard work. You know, changing your life is not a hobby. It's it's this is your life's work. It definitely is. Richard, it's been a delight to have you with us once again. Let's get together on the radio again soon so that we can flesh out the implications of this well-researched philosophy, this life's work, I may say, because I think it is invaluable and people need to know a lot more about it. Thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll keep you updated when the next uh, book will be ready to release. You Please do. We'll love to have you back. Good. All Thanks right. very much. At 1 o'clock today, we have American Road Trip Talk with host Gary Mance. Who do you have on today? I'm going to have Mark Green of Cars Yeah. He's the pride of Gig Harbor. And we're going to talk about the big car auction in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's the Super Bowl of car auctions. It ought to be a lot of fun. And join us tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening, everyone.